the original plan for Star Wars Land, more universal construction updates, and are we getting close to a reopening announcement? That and more, all on today's Park Hop. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James and continuing to join us live from the Hall Cave, where Disney dreaming has just become another way of life. The man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. Each week we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics from the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, we always like to note that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, though, his opinions are fully his own. Henry, how you doing, big guy? Another week shot to hell. Yeah, well, I mean, my apartment's getting a lot cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> dude, really, man. It, uh, it's just, it's kind of like we've officially hit that point at our place where each day just kind of flows effortlessly into the other. And really the core defining features are what are we eating for breakfast? What are we eating for lunch? What are we eating for dinner? Those are like, those are like the big pillars of the day for us. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, my wife has been really busy, uh, cleaning things up and, and, I guess technically doing spring cleaning, I guess that's that's actually the right time to be doing it. But then she's got her garden. She's got she started a, a little garden and uh still doing the baking and sewing every now and then. So she's been keeping nice. super busy while I've been busy sure. with other things. Yeah, I feel like uh baking for sure. Like I've definitely seen quite a few people attempting various different uh Kind of Disney Park recipes. It seems like as the uh, as the closures and the sheltered home orders seem to just keep going and extending. It's been interesting to see how Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Parks blog has been so active in terms of still reaching people and and kind of maintaining a presence in everyone's life. Uh, but specifically with a lot of these recipes that they keep coming out with, it's. It's pretty interesting. It seems like they're kind of sort of similar um, kind of riffs on your favorite park uh, eats. Like it's not it's not a one for one recreation of recipes. Um, I know that, like, for instance, they've got a recipe for like churro bites, despite the fact that, you know, we know that their churros are from Tito Pepe's. I think they also have like they put out a uh, a Dole Whip, but that had ice cream in it and uh and so but all the dole whips in the park are dairy free so definitely seems like they're they're throwing a few curveballs as well yeah like uh they did uh release the uh i guess the recipe for the the monte cristo sandwich from uh cafe orleans and blue bayou i guess but uh you know for me i i don't know if i want to recreate it Cause I want the original. So it's one of those things. Uh, we haven't really tried any of those. Uh, but I mean, I think some of them have been, been tempting. Oh, the beignets, the yes. beignets was, was a tempting one. Yeah. So I, we might actually step into there. Uh, we've done enough cleaning that I can get to my, my deep fryer now hey, there <laughs> without you go. moving everything out. So I've been 
been contemplating some uh, some recipes, so we might look into doing the beignets. I think the one thing we were, uh, my wife was a little bit hesitant about is she doesn't like frying stuff, but if I can get to the deep fryer, we can tag team it and everything and, oh, yeah. and get some of those made. I mean, between then, then you know, the Monte Cristo and the... Uh the beignets i mean you can have a whole you can have a whole uh you know new orleans square evening just based off of those two just got to get mint juleps <laughs> no i stay away from the mint juleps it was the uh neither one of us really care for mint mm. but uh we always get the uh the 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 punch oh sure um, now so are you one of these people that feel like the mint juleps taste like watered down listerine there's like there's like two groups that feel like it's almost like the cilantro debate where those people that really love mint juleps and think they're the best and those people that feel like it's just watered down mouthwash um I have never really thought of it that way. It's interesting because uh, I'm not a big fan of of mint flavored stuff. Like the only time I like really care about mint is either in my my toothpaste or if I'm I'm getting like a mint, a breath mint. Uh, so <laughs> that's the only time I really care for mint. Uh, like my wife usually is more. Uh, she loves peppermint. Right. So. Um, but she's not big on the spearmint type uh, mint. Matter of fact, if we go to uh, uh, get spring rolls at like a Vietnamese place and they have like mint, sometimes they would put mint in the spring right, rolls. Right, right, yeah. She hates that. Like we went to one place and everything was fairly good, but like they put a ton of mint into the spring rolls and that was just like no, we can't come back here anymore, or we can't, if we come back, we're not getting the spring rolls because she was not down with that. Mm. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I mean, I am pretty much a fan. I enjoy the mint julep. I don't, I don't think it's the greatest thing, but I, it's like, it is a perfect balance of kind of like refreshing and sweet. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't like really heavy mint, but I do find it's just like the perfect amount of mint where, um, you know, it, it's a nice balance for anything else that you might be eating or even just like on a really hot day, a really cold mint julep is phenomenal. Uh, I will say though that, you know, every once in a while based off of any kind of seasonal offerings that they're doing, they'll have a special edition mint julep. That's kind of like a, a different kind of flavor. Um, I will say that I, they had, I want to say this was the opening of Galaxy's Edge. So that would have been summertime of last year. I think that's right. Summertime of last year, they had a watermelon mint julep. And it was the greatest thing ever, man. It was like, it was like perfectly balanced watermelon with like the slightest bit of mint. And they had just like the juiciest watermelon spear in there too. It was incredible. Oh. Incredible. Well, I probably would have gave that a, a try just because, one, I love watermelon. Uh, two, because I love watermelon. But, <laughs> you know, having the, that, I, I mean, I do try new things here, here and there. Um, I think it's been a while since I've given the, the mint julep a, a try. So I might. I might give it another try. I don't think I necessarily hated it, but you know, just not, not my thing yeah. for the most part. Yeah. There are, I mean, it, you know, the, 
the wonderful thing about just all Disney parks in general is that, you know, you are you are at no loss for incredible drinks at various different points throughout the park. So I totally understand, like, if there is something that, you know, maybe you're just kind of on the fence or you could give or take. It's just like, dude, save those save those kind of purchased drink slots for uh, for the real heavy hitters, you know, if there is something in particular that you're a fan of. But um, usually I end up having one mint julep. I usually have, uh, end up having a jungle julep at the Bengal barbecue. I'm a fan of that. It's, it is like really Ooh. sweet, um, but uh, it usually balances with like that salty kind of barbecued meat that you would get at jungle Ju- at, uh, mm-hmm. at Bengal barbecue anyway. So it, it, it is like a perfect kind of one, two with that. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's like if, if, uh, you know, if, 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 you know, mint julep isn't your thing, you have tons and tons of other options. I think I almost get overwhelmed, like how much stuff, like so many snacks, especially if you come, you're there in a holiday time period or like a special time, like around Halloween or holidays, they have so many special edition things to eat that it's like, you almost get overwhelmed with like, what, what am I going to eat today? You know, you basically, I've, that's why I, I wind up planning so much stuff Yeah, just so that I can make sure that like, I mean, you know that you're not missing anything when you go and you know where you need to look and find everything. Like one of the best things like we ever, ever had was at the golden horseshoe was that uh the uh churro sunday mm. and that was so good so good and you got a show we got to watch right. the show while sure. we ate our churro <laughs> sunday it was a fresh churro nice and hot and everything is it was perfect yeah but it's so easy i think there's i think we finally uh they had a um, chocolate horchata mm. drink at the um, at uh, the Mexican place, and uh, we kept miss we missed it one year because I think we went there twice. Uh, it, the first time, like they were out, and the next time it was like uh, the machine was down because they were getting ready to close up. So we missed it one year and. I had to keep like planning it and we finally got it, but you got to really plan for your snacks and everything. There's just so much stuff. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, not being, uh, not being locals to that Anaheim and LA area, it is, you know, just the, those seasonal snacks and even, even sometimes those special events and seasonal shows that, might be happening when um, you can't quite make a trip down to Disneyland. It's uh, it's one of those things that being a local, it seems really uh, attractive. It's the one thing where I'm like, man, I wish we lived closer. Generally, uh, you know, I'm okay going um, going pretty frequently, though not regularly, I would say. But uh, but yeah, when when you're there and you're like, there are there are so many snacks that you just don't have enough time and certainly don't have enough uh, stomach space and don't have enough finances to maybe cram everything into 
uh, one single trip, it's like, man, I wish I wish I could come back next weekend or I wish I could come back midweek just for a few snacks. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because um, at one point uh, when one of the places that uh, I was working at, they were moving the office uh, to Texas and they gave offers that, hey, you know, uh, you could you know, work in Texas. Uh, and I remember my wife saying, Hey, I'm willing to move to Texas. I says, I'm not. My idea uh, is to move closer to Disneyland, not move further from Disneyland. Uh, so, so that was out. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely Six flags over where, Texas. Wasn't going to cut it, huh? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's not the same. I mean, for me, it's not about, I mean, when you go to other amusement parks like the six flags and whatnot, you're going for rides. Um, so, you know, when I go to Disneyland, it's for more the ambiance and the experience, uh, you know, you know, being part of seeing things that, um, you know, when you go into Disneyland, uh, park it's like you're stepping into a whole nother world when you go to a lot of like the six flags which i don't have a problem with of course but it doesn't feel like you know you're just at a amusement park going to go ride rides and i find you know as i'm getting older it's not necessarily about the rides rides enhance the experience but it's the the ambiance the the whole like environment that like Disney really does a good job of bringing you into making you feel like you're in another place, another world. And so, you know, totally. Well, Henry, it really did feel like we couldn't go a day this week without some kind of news or update on when Disney world might reopen. Speaking of incredible theme parks and now more than ever, it seems like we have the clearest picture possible of when these parks may actually open. This all started with the Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force announcing established phased guidelines for the reopening of the theme parks. So basically, these are using the similar phased benchmarks provided by the federal government, which are all based around newly reported COVID cases. Large theme park guidelines for these phases include for phase one, a 50% park capacity for phase two, a 75% park capacity tape markings, separating people at least six feet in all attraction and ride queues staff, 65 years and older encouraged to stay home. All employees required to wear face masks, touchless hand sanitizer at ticketing entry turnstiles and entry exits for all attractions, temperature checks for all staff at the start of their shift where anyone that's sick has to stay home and then wiping down of all railings and surfaces after each use. It's all sound pretty similar to the, uh, from some of those items from the universal Orlando questionnaire that was sent out. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so that's, that's part of the proposed, guidelines that are being offered by the Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force. They then went on to propose that large-scale venues and theme parks be allowed to develop their own set of internal guidelines and, quote, be permitted to open at their own discretion 
with their internally determined level of safety capacities throughout the various phases, end quote. And it seems like a big part of this push has to do with how these theme parks are very much resorts that consist of multiple smaller services. According to Mayor Jerry Demings, who's the mayor of Orange County in Florida, if everything were to just fall into a single set of guidelines for these resorts, it could hinder the park's ability to open smaller sections of their business. Now, uh, this applies to all of these guidelines that are being discussed, but um, these are all only guidelines for Orange County. The state of Florida is going to have their own guidelines as well. There could be additional federal guidelines. And then, like we said, the parks are going to have their own guidelines specifically. Disney's going to have their guidelines. Universal's going to have their guidelines. SeaWorld's going to have their guidelines. So there's, there's a lot of various different little bits and pieces that are all going to still need to fall into place here. Um, but that being said, assuming that there isn't a large COVID spike in the near future, the uh, Mayor Demings believed that a June reopening, or at least the start of a reopening of the parks is realistic. So telling the parks that they are really responsible for their own timelines seems like a very slippery slope. I don't I don't think so. At least I think it depends on on um, which parks we're talking about. Like I think Universal's and I think uh de definitely with Disney, I think they're going to play it as safe as possible and I actually feel more confident on them coming up with things because they want to make sure that if they open, they don't have a whole bunch of cases being tied to their park. So I think they're going to be more, uh, take things safer than, than even maybe the state guidelines or federal guidelines. They may take it even a step further. Right. So, um, I feel more confident in them, although I can't speak for like, say maybe, the smaller uh, theme parks, which maybe don't have as big of following as as Disney and Universal, I can't speak for those. Like, I'm sure they're probably going to still also take it uh, more safely as well. I expect nobody wants to get, you know, in the be in the news because they had uh, they were the center of a huge outbreak. Um, but uh, I feel safe with Universal and, and Disney's, their rationale when it comes to these type of things, because I think they were even already closing down before they were being like other places were starting to request it. So uh, or other places were doing it like, you know, stores and whatnot. They were already shut down because they recognize that these they don't want to be the center of some bad press based on uh, an outbreak originating there. Yeah. So everything that you're saying, I generally agree with. I think the only maybe issue that gives me pause um, is, you know, certainly your point about it being about none of these parks wanting a, PR nightmare of parks reopen too soon, infect everybody there. Uh, certainly that's not something that they're looking for and that wouldn't be good for their business. That being said, 
you know, when when these closures did start happening and we did start to get this sense of like, oh, this um, this isn't good. It's looking like, you know, um, these part, you know, Disney especially is going to have to do something. They were so that you're right to say that they were better and in many cases sooner than a lot of other companies in terms of closing. But it was still like they announced their closures and then they remained open for a certain amount of time. Disney World was open for a little bit longer than Disneyland is. And I think they were open. I think they were honestly out of out of the core theme parks. They ended up being maybe staying open the the latest hmm. as a result. And and so as a result of that, you know, sure, you you have there was that kind of small spike in kind of negative PR and that we were having kind of the early onset of this pandemic and you had images of kind of these farewell ceremonies. But I think even beyond that, you did have those few cases that were reported of people that went to the parks during this, you know, it was like a two week period, I think between the, or maybe it was less than that. Maybe it was like a week between announcing that, you know, there were closures that were going to happen and when the parks actually closed. Um, and there were those few cases of people that went to the parks right during that period and then ended up being later on uh, confirmed to have coronavirus. So, um, it, 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 and that's not to say that we shouldn't trust them or that their judgment is off because of that. I mean, clearly they've been, and this is to your point, they've been very good since they've been closed about ensuring that everything's very locked down. And that if anything, you know, we talked last week about how Universal is continuing construction. We'll talk a little bit about, a little more about that this week as well, but how Universal is continuing construction and Disneyland, or Disney parks have been, uh, across the board, just stopping everything to ensure that everything is locked down. So, um, so you're probably right that it, that it'll be fine and they will be responsible. Um, you know, I just hope that that ends up being the case because, you know, if, if, if something were to happen or somebody were to have that virus and travel there and not know that they have it, it's quite possible that nobody will know about it until, many weeks later. And at that point, who knows where we'll be. True. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely, uh, I think they have to look at this as far as like, even what's best for their business is that if they're not responsible, then not only are people going to get sick, I mean, it's not just going to be like a PR nightmare for them, but it could start this whole thing up again and they're going to have to shut down yeah. and it, it's going to be this and who knows how for how long. Yeah. So I think it's in their best interest to like do the most they can uh, possible to not only like, be, make sure that they're safe, but make sure that they, you know, we don't have to go through this all over again. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think they're going to do their best. I mean, but again, nothing's like nobody, nothing's perfect. So, and sure. everybody's really wanting to get this stuff, like get stuff open. Yeah. And I mean, to, to, 
to Mayor Deming's point as well, you know, um, it's not as simple per se as saying that there is one set of guidelines or one easy kind of rubric that you could even set up to judge where these parks are at in terms of their ability to open up just because, you know, parks are, um, for better or worse, these kind of mass conglomerations of various different types of business. So the example that he used as well in um, in one of these meetings is, uh, you know, if we if we're extremely strict, if, if if because a theme park resort is, you know, a theme park resort and that it brings in hundreds of thousands of people, if we're significantly harsher about everything that falls under there, and that includes hotels, that includes restaurants, that includes spas, that includes, you know, all of the various other third-party businesses that operate inside of Disney Springs, if we're to apply the same rubric to all of those aspects that we are to just the parks themselves, it creates a situation where you're going to have smaller restaurants or other restaurants around these parks opened and and falling within guidelines to open and have that ability to operate and the various different restaurants within Disney World being unable to because it's not part of this larger umbrella. Uh, they haven't met the larger umbrella phase requirements. Um, you know, really, I mean, to that point, it would, pre- it would prevent them from doing something that we're seeing at Shanghai Disney where they're slowly opening aspects of that park um, to guests and slowly implementing some of these some of these methods that are going to be used at, at a lot of the other parks around the world. So, you know, um, ideally it gives them the flexibility to operate in phases and say restaurants first, maybe downtown Disney or uh, maybe Disney Springs first, um, whatever. And kind of that small, slow burn up to opening the parks. Yeah. And I I imagine like certain things that's going to really be difficult is also getting their workforce up because I know like, I mean, I think they have a lot, a large uh, group of, you know, seniors that actually like work there, which is awesome. But, you know, they're at a place where uh, they oftentimes work in the places that they're going to be, they're going to be more super vulnerable. So trying to get that workforce up, they're going to need time to get their uh, people up and back into the game. So yes, having opening up in uh, phases would, would be best for them for sure. Yep. You're right. So, I mean, maybe that maybe that June time frame that he calls out is for the beginning of those those kinds of smaller operations that are going to start opening. Um, just because because of that fact, like you're saying, with uh, with all of these various different staff members that need to be brought back from furlough, um, and you know, in some cases, just totally rehired, um, and getting all of these all of these um, getting all of these new elements that they've been discussing as part of these guidelines in place and operational and working as smoothly as it possibly can 
um, that's all going to take some time. So, I mean, I, I would be very surprised if, you know, we're, we're early May right now. I'd be surprised if, you know, in June that that is even, that is even a thing. If we're, if we're open and everything's moving forward and, you know, they're, they're taking, you know, let's, the parks are open by June. I'd be very surprised about that. That seems pretty aggressive, but smaller businesses, restaurants, maybe even some hotel, um, that makes sense. That's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree on that is that, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, I mean, once, once things start to open, it's, it's going to be a slow, slow, like opening, uh, like even before uh we've talked me and my wife were talking about the uh the phases of opening that uh, are being uh released here in like California the stuff that they've been talking about yeah so that's we'll talk about that in a second but yeah that's that's going to be another challenge i mean it really does look like we're going to start to see maybe two different um two different opening time frames for the various different coastal parks. So we'll talk about that more in a second. But um, going with that suggestion of Walt Disney World slowly ramping up in phases does look like that one of the unfortunate casualties may be this upcoming Villains After Hours event at the Magic Kingdom. So uh, the Magic of Tomorrow blog is reporting that they recently received an email from Disney stating that their July 6th after hours event, which they have tickets for, has been canceled. Um, if this ends up being confirmed by Disney, they haven't officially made any word on it. You technically can still buy tickets for some of the events. Um, if it uh, does end up being confirmed, though, this would effectively sink the entire Villains After Hours event for the year. Um, really, the only other show outside of July 6th is July 10th. So it wouldn't make sense, assuming that uh, they cancel everything up until the 6th. It probably doesn't make sense to only do it for a night. Um, and this would also mean that the next Disney World After Hours event would be Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. But it does also bring into question of within these phases and within the kind of operational guidelines that they're building out, where do these after hours and, and kind of holiday events fall into? I mean, could you see Disney World or Disneyland, any of these Disney parks opening and not having any kind of Halloween or holiday festivities in order to kind of better maintain control over uh, over these phased openings? Well, I think they would still do, if they're open, I think they'll still do some kind of Halloween uh, event, but it may be a different event than what we are used to. So, like, I mean, it'd be really interesting to see how, like, I don't think, um, I don't think it's ideal to have the trick-or-treat trails going. Right. At yeah, this time, because, yeah, because you can't, I mean, trying to maintain the distance between people in those things would be just a, a logistical nightmare. Um, but, uh, but they make, I mean, I, I still think they would do like, you know, the decorations, um, 
I think they could still do the fireworks shows and, and those type things. Cause they're going to do shows anyways. And, you know, but I mean, like I said, I think the trick or treat trails may be, uh, outed. Um, they may, I mean, it would be nice to see it. Like they just do kind of the decorations and, and the fireworks shows they do away with the, uh, um, the trick or treating, but then they don't, they wind up not charging people for the Halloween event. They just, they just do the decorations and, and the, uh, the fireworks shows. Sure. So, I mean, that's what it initially started off when they started doing the trick or treating and stuff. That's when they started charging people. Uh, maybe they just go back to the OG for this year or next year as well. Yeah, I think I think that uh, is sensible for sure, and and pretty realistic in terms of what uh, what we can expect. I mean, most of I'm guessing that most of the decorations that are used are just in storage the rest of the year, right? It's not like it's not like there's it's not like they're creating new stuff every year. So it's just a matter of you know the extra cost incurred in terms of setting of in terms of setting stuff up. Um, it would be interesting if we're talking about, uh, you know, Disneyland, which has more kind of uh, rethemed rides. Disney World's not as much of a thing, but like, man, it, it, the idea of Disneyland opening up for hol- uh, for holidays or for Halloween and not having Haunted Mansion holiday is uh is pretty nuts that's pretty realistic oh. that's i think a safe assumption oh that would be brutal because that's i mean right now haunted mansion is is in its like anniversary year uh yeah. plus you know one of my favorite things is to see the uh the haunted mansion decked out in the nightmare before christmas so um, that would be brutal to not have that. But, uh, I mean, to be fair, they were putting it on for, for a couple ye- for years without actually charging people to come in and see it. So I, I see, think it's still feasible that they could do it. At least if anything, it'll get people who might be, uh, iffy about going to the parks at this time it would be something to make them like want to come to go see that stuff. Um, Yeah. I do think uh, it's funny though, that they, that they basically went from um, haunted mansion holiday last year, which was the, that was the 50th anniversary uh, uh, year. I think that they were, or not, maybe not the 50th anniversary year, but that was the, they at least had the 50th anniversary gingerbread house. Uh, which is always a thing, and mm-hmm. um, and so they go from that to closing and into this extended refurbishment, which they had gotten, you know, a ways into. So it's probably safe to say that they had put all of the haunted mansion holiday stuff away um, and re re kind of stored everything. So it would be crazy to think that parks are going to open, they're going to finish that refurbishment, and then they're going to roll everything back out. Um, I think certainly if if they get everything done and the timing is right, then of course that's what they're going to do. But it's uh, it's a funny situation. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's also like 
I I do want to see the Haunted Mansion like restored and what it's like without the Nightmare Before Christmas. What see what they did to like during this whole uh, re- yeah. renovation, but uh, but still I do want to see uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean that's I mean me and my wife the first time we went on it together was the Nightmare Before Christmas uh and we hadn't seen it even in the original like without the Nightmare Before Christmas for a long time my wife even wanted to one point she said oh man I really want to see what it's like and after seeing the original it was like oh now I'm ready to go back to the Nightmare for Nightmare Before Christmas setup um but you know, I mean, I'll just be glad to get back to the to the parks. But that being said, I think my wife would be happy if they didn't have the trick or treat trails because apparently, I accumulate way too much candy during that time. <laughs> I believe that. I I don't doubt that for a second. I think we finally just. Uh, I think she she just finished giving like she. Uh, giving away the last of our last bit of Halloween candy <laughs> to uh, her family. Uh, so we don't have it. We we just had bags of candy from the trick-or-treating uh, sitting in our living room, and we just finally got rid of most of it. So, so you heard it. So then for, uh, for Henry and Lori's sake, Disney, please uh, cancel that trick-or-treat trail. Well, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing. It's just that, you know, I always say going into it, like, ah, I'm not really, you know, it's not important that we get all the candy, but then I'm a completionist, so I always want to go to every trail. Oh, there's a trail yeah. right here. I'll just go to it and, oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the last time I was trying to get all the, the healthy treats that I could. So yeah. I was getting less candy and more of the... uh carrots and apples and whatnot but still i get a lot of candy (laughs) (laughs) well i think the two things going against any of these after hour events either at disneyland or disney world should they both be open during that time um the two things would be obviously you know these spots where you would collect candy obviously you know people congregate to those areas so it's definitely not something that they're going to want to encourage. And the other thing is, I mean, it, it does extend out the park hours for those nights. So, you know, I know that um, on not so scary uh, or Mickey's not so scary Halloween party nights at Disney World, the park is open until midnight. Um, I know it's a similar thing with Disneyland because it's a special ticketed event. So, you know, that may be another thing that they're concerned about is that it's just more time where people are kind of confined to a singular area because um you know there's there's not going to be anything else open per se all the other parks are going to be closed um and so you know it just it creates another complicated scenario that they have to deal with which at this point in time may not be something that uh is too encouraged yeah but i mean to be fair i think they're already going to have to be dealing with, I mean, uh, people congregating because, I mean, we have to remember, like, what the parks are like when they close. I mean, how, like, the, the mass of people 
like going through the stores after the when the parks like announce that they're closing like it's sure. just crazy so i'm mean, i don't know they're gonna have to figure that stuff all out but i mean i imagine it's regardless they'll figure something out for sure it's just more of a question of kind of what is what is built into the experience that they're gonna have to figure out so obviously like what you're saying crowd flow um and you know just massive crunches of people whether it be queues or whether it be entrances or exits or restaurants or whatever like that's all stuff that's baked into the experience there's there's no way that they could open those parks without having some particular solution for that um and so for any kind of like extra hours events or extra ticketed events at least the way that i see it it's like you know, it would be nice if they have a solution for that and if they still do these. But I think everybody's at a point right now where if they say, hey, parks are open, but these aspects are canceled, like it, it, it's at least understandable from face value. Like it sucks. You certainly want that to be the case. But, you know, if uh, it's not something that needs to be solved for in order for that ex for for a theme park experience to occur. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, there's like, it'd be happy just for them to be open. Um, there's going to be enough stuff for them to figure out up to that point anyway. So, yes. If they want to spend the time and figure that out, or if it's, if, you know, like what you're saying, if, if in solving some of these other issues that they have to solve for anyway, if that's going to bridge the gap in order to make these extra uh to make these um to make these after hours events happen if they can just kind of copy and paste or carry over these new policies into into these and if that works then great even better but you know like i said if if they say like hey it's just we don't want to we don't have the time nor funds to invest in figuring this out now it's just too close and too soon fine just open everything, right? Like just get some semblance of normalcy in place so that people can kind of return to the parks. And, and, you know, I get it. I would, I would love of course to uh, attend Mickey's not so scary Halloween party when I'm at the parks in late August, early September. But if that doesn't end up happening, I get it. Totally, totally fine. Oh, for sure. I totally agree. I mean, just you got to start somewhere. It's it's disappointing, but I mean, <laughs> this is a time of disappointment, so <laughs> yeah, it'd be right, the exactly. least of the disappointments. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were talking about Disneyland and their Halloween potentially being at risk. Um, and we have a bit of an update in terms of what their reopening situation is. It's a little bit complicated, but this week, California Governor Gavin Newsom laid out a four-stage plan for reopening the entire state this week. And in this plan, stage four seems like uh, it would be the best fit for both Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood since it covers, quote, live audience sports and other large event events, venues, and large gatherings deemed the highest risk. And if the parks do fall here, uh, it would mean that they wouldn't open until there is some kind of treatment for the current pandemic. That is the that is the kind of caveat or 
the requirement that is currently in that phase four um, strategy that that Governor Newsom set out. So uh, that seems like that's probably a ways away. It, it, it is important to note that sounds like, you know, there's there's two important pieces to keep in mind with that. One is that initially when Governor Newsom set out the, the specific closure um, plans for the state, this was in March, uh, it, Disneyland was initially exempted from that list um, and from the requirements, they did end up following them anyway. So that ended up being that. But there is the possibility that there could be some wiggle room there for Disneyland. Also, their ability to um, do something that you know Disney World is talking about in terms of modifying their capacity. If they're able to reduce their capacity in a way, it's quite possible that they could land within um, land within level four of, of this plan, uh, or sorry, level, uh, stage four of this plan, which would mean that, you know, they would be, I think they listed a few months to open before kind of numbers are, are hit us, uh, hit a certain low that would suggest that you can start some moderate, uh, live events and crowds. So, um, it's possible that we're a few months away possible that we're a bit longer than that but kind of like what we were saying earlier does sound like it's very realistic that both disneyland and disney world are kind of going to go two separate ways in terms of opening disney world sounds like it's probably going to open sooner rather than later in disneyland there's that question mark there but probably still months away it's for the best but either way it's going to be a hard pill to swallow i mean we have to make sure that everything is safe. Yeah. It's a little bit baked into the location, right? It's uh you look at Disney World, they're kind of bubbled out from the rest of the area. They have this massive plot of land that they can totally lock down and control kind of who comes in and who comes out of and um and there isn't all that much around them. Compare that to Disneyland, which is in the middle of a city, <laughs> an entire other community. Um, so there's very little control that Disneyland has uh, in terms of just flow and in terms of access outside of its own gates. So um, just a different level of control. And, you know, like, like we were saying, it's just a different level of surroundings, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, as you said, with, uh, you know, with, the magic kingdom you can control like your environment and not just like people coming in but like you know how many people are pretty much interacting with those people coming in uh but as far as like with disneyland you know have one person walking by like maybe just somebody who lives in the area who might be infected and they pass somebody and you know you have everything breaking out because you can't you can't control those people. Yeah. Uh, so. Yep. And I mean, everyone's staying. A majority of guests are staying offsite as well. So, um, yeah, it's just much harder, much harder to control their uh, environment there. So, it totally is not a surprise that this is the direction that things are going. But, uh, but hopefully, hopefully, you know, something can happen because the idea of you know, the idea of Disneyland not opening until next year is pretty wild. 
that would definitely be uh, <laughs> a nightmare. But it is a, a reality that it could happen. Yeah, man. You guys might have to take your uh, your anniversary trip out to, um, to Disney World instead. Well, that would that would actually be pretty cool uh, still. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. We will. We will have to see, man. But moving across the way to Disneyland Paris, we also got some pretty rough uh, updates there as well with uh, France's prime minister announcing that the restrictions banning festivals and events that draw over 5,000 people, um, those restrictions have been extended until September. Uh, so realistic that those parks definitely are not going to open until September. Um, hopefully that's hopefully that's uh, that's as far as they go. But, you know, I mean, France has been pretty pretty hardcore about ensuring that uh, things remain closed for as they need as long as they need to. So we'll just have to see on that. Um, on a positive note, though, Shanghai Disneyland is continuing to make steps towards reopening. Last week, we talked about the reopening simulations that were being run with live shows and parades. Well, now it's looking like fireworks shows are also being tested. Both WDW News Today and Inside the Magic point to Instagram user videos showing the Shanghai Park running through their Ignite the Dream nighttime show. So uh, another element is falling into place. Also, if you have not seen the Ignite the Dream nighttime show, uh, I would definitely recommend looking it up on YouTube. There's tons of videos. I was there two, no, a little over a year ago and was super impressed. It's definitely not as impressive as a Disney World fireworks spectacular. And really, to call it a fireworks show is maybe even a little much, but it's kind of the... Um, the new updated Disney nighttime show uh, method of kind of incorporating some fireworks and some digital mapping projections and some water shows and some laser shows, but all very, very well done. And because of that, uh, their storybook castle, I think is what they call it. Uh, it's not necessarily a princess castle, but it, it, it is the, by far the biggest of the Disney park castles. It's it, because it's so massive definitely creates a uh quite the quite the quite the area to project all these images on and it's just a very impressive spectacular show um so definitely recommend checking it out if if you can't in person then online is uh is certainly will do the trick uh, and then finally we have word from hong kong disneyland that they're beginning to move in a similarly positive direction on Wednesday, the Disney Magical Kingdom blog tweeted out an image showing the park entrance now set up for social distance queuing. So even though we're getting maybe some not so great news at a couple of these parks, we do seem to be, you know, the, the parks that closed first in uh, in Hong Kong and in uh, Shanghai seem to also be the furthest along in terms of reopening and showing some real positive signs of a forward movement here. Yeah, the world's I, everybody's watching to see how this how this works out for them just so like. I mean, we'll actually get an idea on like what it's going to be like going back. I have to imagine that the uh, there will be lots and lots of news reports and and discussion around kind of what's in place, but also what's not in place, and what uh, what could be better, and 
And so, yeah, it'll be an interesting test bed. And hopefully, hopefully everything goes great. We're able to implement a lot of that stuff here and uh, and move forward. So we'll just have to see. Time will tell. Oh, yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. I hope I hope they have a everything works out. And, and more uh, more importantly, I hope nobody gets sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, there is. I guess it all depends on when everything starts to reopen. But, uh, you know, if it is within this month, if it is in May at Shanghai, which just seems like it's totally possible if they're running through all of these simulated openings, uh, we will have a good bit of time in between those openings and potentially when a Disney World or Disneyland could open. So um, you'll have plenty of time to get tons of, of good information from that. So, uh, like I said, it it'll be helpful (laughs) for sure. Oh yeah. It's always, I mean, what, what goes well for them and what doesn't go well for them is all like information that, you know, that's going to help us at uh, Disneyland and at Disney world and universal studios just move forward with their planning as well. So it's all, all good information. All good. Wow. Totally. Uh, And then outside of the Disney bubble, Universal had some pretty big construction updates that they shared as well. On Thursday, as part of their, as part of Comcast's general uh, update, they announced that they will be delaying all construction on Epic Universe, which will be their third park at the Universal Orlando Resort. Not much information shared beyond that, but the park was originally scheduled for 2023, so it'll be interesting to see if that changes, and if so, by how long. Um, And then also within that announcement, we got an update on Universal Studios Beijing, which is scheduled to open in mid-2021. I believe May is the, the month that they initially talked about. And Comcast CEO Brian L. Roberts described that the park is still on time and on budget. Uh, So hasn't seen any delays on that part. Uh, Very interesting considering that 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 is kind of the initial epicenter, at least China, um, you know, where where they were pretty heavily impacted. But I guess that didn't slow things down. So they're they're moving ahead. Well, I mean, I guess when this stuff really started to break out and happen, uh, they really like knuckled down and started and actually were doing a lot of construction. Yeah, clearly. But it'll be interesting. We'll definitely dive more into uh, Universal Beijing a little bit more when we get closer to it and we start getting a little bit more uh, a little bit more of those details start coming in but uh, but that'll be an interesting development as well so um, so moving away from all of this kind of closure and construction news there were a few fun stories that popped up this week as well uh, one of which is kind of a what if and the other is more of a, a what will be so I thought it was thought it would be fun to kind of go through these and maybe speculate on what could have been and and uh, and maybe where we're gonna end up with with some some really awesome uh, theme park attractions so first off we got a few details surrounding the original concept for Star Wars land at Disney World this past week 
WDW Radio sat down with former vice president of Walt Disney World, and things got really interesting when he started getting into the initial 2011-2012 pitch for Star Wars Land. Some of the confirmed items include both a Tatooine and Endor-themed area, which would have included a Return of the Jedi speeder bike thrill ride, a Jabba's Palace dinner show, a Moss Eisley cantina, and a Path of the Force dark ride, which would have gone through the history of the Jedi and the Sith. Would have been located in Hollywood Studios in that Echo Lake area, which is towards the front of the park, and it would have stretched all the way down to where Star Tours is currently located. Uh, It was eventually canceled in 2014 when plans shifted towards representing the new Disney trilogy with Galaxy's Edge as opposed to the original trilogy. And Walt Disney World News Today pointed to an interview with Disney CEO Bob Iger during the time of the cancellation, where he stated, quote, I didn't want someone to say, I just saw one of the new movies, and there's nothing in that movie in the current slate of attractions in the park. So uh, it sounds like this, uh, the, the eventual demise was more of a, hey, they saw it in the movie, they're going to want to ride it in the park, which from a business standpoint makes total sense. But, uh, but I thought this was really interesting. Like there were a couple of things that really stood out for me and then I'm curious kind of what, uh, what, what your take on this was. But the idea of it not only being in Hollywood Studios, but that it was going to be a front and center land as opposed to where it is, I guess, in both Disney World and Disneyland, where they're more towards the end of the the back end of the parks. Um, but the idea of it being kind of like really front and center there in that kind of main um, after that main strip in Hollywood Studios is 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 really interesting. And then and then the fact that some of these rides sound pretty different maybe (laughs) but uh but you do i mean obviously we've got a cantina uh with ogas in galaxy's edge but i mean this is like other than that really does sound kind of like a whole different slate of attractions and really everything and that that most of this concept was just completely scrapped as opposed to trying to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and kind of with the new setting which uh which I, I thought was kind of an interesting kind of inside ball uh, take on it. But what, what, what kind of stood out from this to you, Henry? I actually kind of have, I mean, I kind of see the point of like, I definitely wanted, would love to go to like a Tatooine, Mos Eisley uh, area and, and an indoor area, more the, the Mos Eisley area, which is definitely iconic for, for star wars but i think i kind of see the point of what bob Iger said as far as i mean you it's kind of difficult because what happens is you're you have it'll feel kind of like older whereas with like something like the galaxy's edge you can kind of continue to to tell more stories and uh and build off of it. Whereas you might stagnate. You're, you're really having to tell stories that are older and you're going back to revisit older content to try and build off of that. Whereas with the, with a galaxy's edge, you can just move forward. You, you just have a, a much, 
op- a, a bigger slate of what you can do, a, a bigger like canvas to make more stories and make different kind of rides where, but that being said, I think, uh, you know, Tatooine is definitely something like, uh, most Eisley is definitely something so iconic to star Wars that you, you still want to see it. I definitely want to see. Yeah. It. So, yeah. And you know, so your point, is that's a really interesting one and and in the in the actual interview itself he does make a reference to um i guess a conversation that had happened between him uh between Iger and Kathleen Kennedy who's the head of Lucasfilm and um and specifically it sounded like the consensus that both of them came to was that um and i think some of the a lot of this was driven by uh Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, but, um, you know, she, her point was that there are a lot more future stories that are going to be told in the kind of Disney Star Wars universe, um, than have already been told, you know, before this. So you have, you know, give or take six movies before that. And I mean, we've already have tons of Star Wars content everywhere, but that there is, it's a more fertile ground in front of us than it is behind, which makes sense. Um, And I think, I think, I think in the interview, um, he pointed to Iger feeling like, well, what, what his kind of vision for Disneyland and and anything that's created at the parks is that it needs to be, um, and maybe this is the, I think this is the Imagineering kind of vision as well, is that nothing can feel um, like it's old or that it's time has passed or that you're kind of reaching too far into the past and that um, and that everything kind of feels maybe stagnated. And so because of that, they, they again, to kind of keep echoing this, but they, they want to look forward and being able to be able to pull from the newest trilogies to, to keep everything feeling fresh. Um, with that, though, I thought the interesting kind of piece to me is that it does set up a weird, um, a weird precedence in that, you know, it, it is definitely true that a lot of what they're talking about and what he makes reference to Jabba's Palace, uh, Moss Eisley, um, Endor, speeder bikes, all of that kind of stuff is definitely, you know, that older era for sure, but it is iconic. And the interesting thing is they replaced kind of these iconic landscapes between Tatooine and Endor with with almost like a blank slate. So you used the you used the canvas kind of analogy. It's like it's like they replaced a really well-known and recognizable canvas with a um, with a blank one right so it's like rather than and 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 this kind of goes within the philosophy of galaxy's edge but it is interesting to see where disney sees the value in each idea um you know the original this original pitch concept is exactly the hey you're you step into your favorite star wars scenes that exist as opposed to galaxy's edge which is very much like recognizable star wars moments and aspects exist in this other world otherwise kind of um everyday world that itself isn't exceptional but the moments and interactions and events 
that includes rides and whatnot that occur within it are exceptional. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a very, it's a weird dynamic. So it's a weird kind of trade-off if you will. Yeah. Well, I think they're kind of looking at, um, in a way you kind of have to look at like uh, Tomorrowland in, in this, in this case where like you, they were trying to shoot for something that was futuristic. But if you look at it now, like time is caught up to it and is it futuristic? Uh, I think if you would, if they would have built off like a star Wars land based off of the old trilogy, it, it would have been great for now, but moving forward, it would have felt old and, and not like uh, fresh. But with the Galaxy's Edge, they were kind of looking more towards the future. While it doesn't feel as iconic, which is weird for, I think that the, the one of the problems that we come up with, well, we kind of like see when we look at uh, Galaxy's Edge is that Disney is so based around nostalgia but then like galaxy's edge is not nostalgic so it's kind of like a weird like you know you have all these lands and all these things that are so nostalgic but then you have galaxy's edge which kind of box that trend uh but you know, I see where they're going with, with this, they have, they can build off and keep continuing to add to it or at least update it and with new stories and whatnot. So they don't run into at least for a while, the issues that, you know, Tomorrowland is seeing now where like, where do we, where do we take Tomorrowland now what do right. what do we view as the future? Whereas with Galaxy's Edge, you can continue to add stuff for it, new stories and and maybe uh, new rides based off of those stories. Whereas I think uh, you know with the older trilogy, you're kind of pigeonholed to three movies or you know whatever was based off of those three movies. Right. So I I get that. I totally get that point. And I get the comparison, though, I think I think just as much, if not more so of an interesting comparison, because it, it was the comparison that oftentimes people were using when we were getting those initial reactions to Galaxy's Edge. If you look at Cars Land or if you look at the world of Pandora, Both are lands that totally exist within a very specific place and time and exist in a very specific franchise, right? So what, what, what that is saying within Cars Land and kind of where Cars Land is at is it is current as long as they are currently making Cars movies that feature Radiator Springs. Similarly, Avatar... Uh, and and the world of Pandora in Animal Kingdom is current as long as they are making Avatar movies. Sounds like there's plenty still coming, but it, it still exists within a very specific place within those franchises, right? So you step into Cars Land, which, you know, again, the initial reaction coming out of Galaxy's Edge, I heard so many people point to like Cars Land is the way that you do a land and it's like again it's a totally different 
philosophy into the approach to kind of building out a land like that in that you are in Radiator Springs, right? Like those iconic elements of Radiator Springs are present. And so you feel uh, that you exist within that world that you have kind of built up in your head. And in many cases, your imagination kind of fills in those blanks. Similar thing with Avatar, where it is just this, it's a lot of new stuff that maybe isn't necessarily even present in the movie, and they still even have their own internal fiction, much like is present at Galaxy's Edge, in that, uh, you know, if you talk to cast members there, they treat the movie Avatar as if it was a documentary of what actually occurred in that land. But, you know, it still exists on that world of Pandora that is instantly recognizable. You have those floating mountains. You have, you know, this uh, kind of flora and fauna that uh, that glows at nighttime. You just have these elements that are iconic to those specific franchises that when you step foot into those lands, you immediately recognize, yes, this is Pandora. Yes, this is Cars Land while still being able to provide experiences that that people are wowed. So, you know, like I said, I, I get I get the approach that Iger and Kathleen Kennedy are talking about with this. I get the need to want to cater towards the future as opposed to the past, but again, like it seems like there are these other examples within Disney parks that are able to accomplish both. So uh, this is where, like I said, I, I feel like it. I, I feel like there, there's a piece missing with Galaxy's Edge that they could have done both with. But I don't know. I'm beating. I'm beating a very old drum at this point. Well, I think with Cars Land, um, I love Cars Land. It's one of my favorites. I mean, I have. I do not. Uh, you know. I make it apparent that I love car, the Cars movies, but I think if you actually look at Cars Land now, it is a bit stagnant. I mean, I, I love it a lot, but they haven't added anything to it. I think that's one reason they may uh, dress it up for the holidays and for uh, uh, Halloween and stuff because they don't have uh, any kind of new rides or anything in that in that land um they haven't been updating it uh, but i think with pandora uh you they the the new movies and plus it it is kind of such a it may not have been a a, a blank slate that they were working from but it was a pretty big slate because you're dealing with uh a movie that was had a i mean the the planet had so much like um, there's so much possibilities and so many different directions that they could go. And there were so many movies that were supposed to come from that, that we're still waiting for that um, it would still like potentially have content coming out for a long time that they could update uh, the park with. I, I think, I think, that and plus uh pandora i think was a lot easier to maybe make a land that would be like because it was newer um you're not dealing with like pandora and cars land you didn't already have like before 
cars, you didn't have an existing like franchise that used the cars, uh, people like the, the cars, or you didn't have an existing franchise before Avatar to have to deal with that people love so much. You had just what people knew and you had to make that, um, but I think uh, I think Cars Land is going to hit a rut at some point. They they're going to have to figure something out with that land at, at some point, probably sooner than later. Um, but Pandora, I think they're going to have the ability to add content or rides based off of these new movies. And uh, personally, I haven't been to Pandora, so I can't say for sure. Uh, how the rides are, but I imagine they some of those rides probably could be updated with this new content that comes from these next movies coming out. Um, probably easier than than other uh, like than maybe Cars Land could be um, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think Galaxy's Edge was a different type of uh they had a a lot more issues to have to deal with than say pandora cars land because uh, yeah do you go with what everybody knows or do you make a land for like people who are going to uh uh where you can like make something newer and i think yeah, it's it's tricky, but I think one thing you also have to like consider is that Star Wars is so beloved by so many people that people are going to despite people complaining about it, they're still going to go to it. The older like fans are still going to go to it. So you're basically I think you just have to worry about the future this newer uh uh, these newer fans that are, you know, that they were making this new trilogy for making something that they can love, uh, but then making something that you can grow off of. So you don't, so you can expand it, but yes, I don't, I don't even know if when they made, uh, when they were planning out Pandora and Cars Land that they even considered the future of those uh, franchises beyond what movies were coming out. I think they considered that more. It was much more of a consideration when dealing with the uh, Galaxy's Edge or a Star Wars park. Yeah. So obviously, Pandora is a bit of a different beast in that you're talking about a franchise that at the time wasn't owned by Disney. It is now. So it's a bit of a different equation, right? <laughs> they have a lot more control in terms of whether or not there will be more movies. But I mean, they, at that time, I'm sure knew that there were going to be more and, uh, you know, cars being the marketing juggernaut that it is, I would be very surprised if there were no more new cars movies. I think those will probably continue coming out as well. But regardless, I, I guess the big question I have, so obviously you're correct. Um, in terms of just where where you want to put the focus. Do you want to put the focus again in the future or do you want to put it in the past? And it is a valid point that there are still 
a ton more Star Wars experiences. And if you look even in like five years from now, there will be more Disney era Star Wars experiences, most likely, than, you know, uh, than pre-Disney era Star Wars experiences. It's just the rate that things have been coming out uh, on all of these different various media platforms uh, is is pretty astounding. Totally makes sense why, but it is coming out at a very fast clip. So, you know, if you just weigh the two in terms of where there are more experiences to draw from and canon to draw from and characters to draw from, it will it's going to continue to be in that newer direction. I guess the question is, was there an opportunity? I think there was, but but where was that opportunity to include both? And I think some of these other lands that, again, people do point to, do a better job of including both. Maybe not. That's an opinion. Fine. The question that I have for you, and... I have an opinion about this. I'm curious about yours. But the question I have for you is you talk about how much and how enjoyable just spending time in the atmosphere, in and around the atmosphere of these parks is, even if you just take the rides out of the equation. So with that in mind, would you rather spend time in Cars Land or would you rather spend time in Galaxy's Edge? Oh, no doubt I'd rather spend time in Cars Land. So I... Again, like I, I guess that's my point with this is that, and and in looking at the philosophy of, would you rather create an iconic land that has maybe experiences that you would expect with the franchise versus a blank slate that has memorable experiences and new experiences that occur within it? If we're just talking about the atmosphere of the land, I agree. I would rather spend time in Cars Land than Galaxy's Edge. I'm in Galaxy's Edge to get that Ronto wrap because the Ronto wrap is amazing. I'm in Galaxy's Edge to, uh, you know, uh, ride the rides, but I'm probably not spending too much time outside of that in Galaxy's Edge. There's just not unless I'm unless I want to spend money on purchasing you know, uh, some cool stuff. Uh, it, 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 the, the atmosphere just isn't there. And in cars land, like, like we've been talking about, I personally feel like it is there. It's a, it, it just feels like a much more welcoming space. So perhaps that'll change in time, perhaps with when, uh, the child eventually lands at uh, galaxy's edge, that's going to change the dynamic. But that's kind of where we're at right now. It's and it's too bad. Like I said, it's it, it, if nothing else, and why I I find it is frustrating is probably too strong of a word, but maybe a little disappointed in terms of looking at what could have been. It's hearing stuff like this and being like, yeah, I would much rather spend time there than what we currently have. And like I said, maybe that's going to change. Maybe I am. And certainly I'm part of that older wave that uh, that uh, they want to cater a little bit less to. That's fine, too. I'm just saying, though, in reading kind of what could have been, it seems like perhaps there's maybe an opportunity to do a little bit of both. But, you know, what are you going to do? You know, I think one of the I mean, there's there's a couple of problems that, you know, Galaxy's Edge has that doesn't make me as uh, why I don't want to spend as much time there. I mean, I think the bazaar, the the shops in the bazaar, like really like 
are missing. Like they don't have anything really interesting to me in the, any of those shops. Uh, and the other thing is you can't buy a pickle in, in uh, galaxy's edge. I mean, <laughs> what is the deal with that? I mean, but, uh, Dude. that being said, I think, uh, yeah, you are committed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, that being said, I think maybe in the future, um, yeah, you know, the, maybe they release something, they make some changes where, like, it does feel more iconic uh, to go into Galaxy's Edge. But yeah, um, the, it is, uh, it was disappointing, you know, considering, like, what, like, Cars Land is like when you walk into Cars Land. We'll see. I mean, and, and I don't want to make it seem like I hate Galaxy's Edge because I don't. I really, I, I think there's so much within Galaxy's Edge that is, from a technical perspective, really fantastic and really impressive. Um, you know, it does in various different points feels like uh, you are in the middle of a Star Wars planet, um, but it just feels a little plain. I think that is what. A lot of people have complained about. And so, you know, Disneyland and Disney World lands, Disney Park lands are not judged and do not uh, do not kind of make their legacy within the first year or two of being ex of, of being in existence. It, you know, their legacy is defined by how it looks in five years and 10 years and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, to, I mean, both of both of the points that. It sounds like we're both making. We'll see where it it goes. There's potential there, but uh, but but regardless, it sounds like these uh, the Star Wars land that we never got has some really cool stuff in it. It was very exciting to read about. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I mean, it definitely. I think I was expecting something more along the lines of Mos Eisley, and that's what I was hoping for. And I think, you know, not getting that was disappointing. Uh, you know, the fact that they kind of said, well, you're not going to hear any of the iconic music that you uh, that you grew up with uh, because it's not in this new trilogy was, was super like disappointing. That was our first hint. Yeah, I think I think the I I think what was missed here is that uh it should have been kind of like a multi-tiered land or something like that, where you have an area that is, uh, that is most Eisley, And then, uh, you might have an area that is indoor and it's not all just bat too. Yeah. Also the other thing, uh, I really liked about the concept for the original star Wars land was that it sounds like star tours would have been a part of it, which, makes a lot of sense. I would have been all about, I, I don't see how that could be the case at Disneyland, but at least at Disney world, it was going to be kind of at the far end. So I could see a lot of, uh, a fun potential and, and possibilities that they could incorporate into, uh, into that. So I like the idea of star tours launching from Batu. that, that sounds pretty awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, I think at some point they could you know, maybe make it part of it, but we'll see. It, it it would take some awesome creativity, which certainly they're known for. So uh, I would be all about that. But we do have one final story, and this is this falls into the what 
most likely will be. So we were talking about Epic Universe's construction being delayed, but within all of that construction delay news, we also got a quick peek at the entire site plan courtesy of Orlando Park Stop. It's always exciting when we can get any kind of little bits of information and and nuggets about an upcoming a, a brand new theme park because they don't happen too often. So this is this is this is what it's all about right here. So this plan in addition to the specific details also includes images which appear to show four distinctly themed lands surrounding a central hub. So there isn't all that much else beyond just general blockouts for possible structures, but Inside the Magic has a really interesting piece up right now where they've taken all of the little bits and pieces of unconfirmed park information that have been floating around for a while now and, uh, and placed all of that within this plan. And really, since we haven't dug too deep into Epic Universe on, uh, on this show, I thought it would be a pretty good opportunity to just kind of go through um, maybe some of the, the plan itself, but also some of what has been confirmed and some of what hasn't, because like I said, it's not every day that we have a new park to, to look forward to. So definitely a lot of cool stuff in there. How does that sound, Henry? Oh, that sounds awesome. New park. It wouldn't be as exciting, but if we hadn't had uh, the Harry Potter lands so like uh, vibrant and it showed that, you know, that universals can do lands just like that compared to Disneyland uh, and their land. So there's hope for these awesome lands and stuff now. So, yes. Awesome. Yeah, and there's some really interesting properties that are included here. Um, so, so starting off, we know about Super Nintendo World. We've already had an announcement around that. Uh, that basically, it's uh, it's a land that in various different shapes and forms are are going to be present in all but uh, one of the Universal theme parks. So, I think Beijing Universal is not going to include it. But other than that, it's pretty much everywhere else in some form. So, uh, so that's there in one of the the lands, and it looks like there is room for three different attractions. And so the the um, the attractions that has been that have been kind of floating around and and seemingly discussed the most, uh, based off of various different little permits and patents filed are um are a mario kart ride that seems like it's going to involve some kind of ar uh feature that involves kind of wearing glasses and it's a it, it's a it's kind of a, a track dark ride um a super mario land with a yoshi ride and so we saw what could potentially be a little bit of Super Mario Land in a promo that uh, that Universal and Nintendo uh, released, what was it, last year? I think it was later last year. Um, it was either later last year or early this year. Regardless, um, it showed kind of what you would expect out of a general kind of a Super Mario Land, very bright and vibrant and coins and boxes and grassy fields, but also some kind of wristband that 
that looked like maybe it was going to record your score as well as you went throughout the land. But uh, we don't have a lot of information on anything outside of that. But uh, but yeah, so that would include a Yoshi ride as well and some kind of Donkey Kong coaster. There, there isn't a ton of information on that, but it looks like there is space for some kind of themed roller coaster in that land. So that sounds like that would be pretty awesome as a as an introduction to uh to super nintendo world yeah yeah i mean I, th- I think the donkey kong would probably be based off of the donkey kong country like they have like that riding in the in the donkey kong uh oh yeah uh barrel uh so that would be right. pretty cool um i think there's like also probably some kind of opportunity to do some kind of like uh Buzz Lightyear type ride, but you're like Metroid, uh, that I would hopefully at some point they would put in, but, uh, definitely the Mario Kart should be awesome. Uh, there's a lot of potential there. I don't know about, I, I wonder like what they would do with Yoshi. Maybe you think that's the one that's probably more like hard to, to see. Yeah. It looked like it's intended to be kind of a, bit more of a a ride that's intended for younger kids um, or at least kind of more family friendly per se than a coaster or a a kind of a larger scale dark ride uh, fast moving dark ride and um, it would be sort of you would go through some of kind of very familiar both indoor and outdoor areas of uh, Super Mario franchise sounded like maybe there was some kind of uh, functionality or interactive element where um, as you were going kind of in an as throughout the outside track or even maybe in the inside track there were enemies that you could swallow or something or maybe a way that your wristband would interact not 100 percent sure but um but yeah it sounded like really the focus was was more of a, a of a, a a ride intended for the entire family oh i imagine uh, for sure but in one thing i think if you look at all these these different uh potential all these potential rides is that it's going to be a really especially for the yoshi i imagine you're going to get to explore the the world, the world of uh, Mario, a lot better. Um, like yeah. you get to see all these different, like the landscape should be amazing. Uh, yeah. It's just so bright and vibrant, which I think makes for like. I mean, you're talking like uh, like just something that makes you feel good just to like go through. I mean, it, I imagine it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's, it, it feels very different than uh, some of the other themes that I'm going to be talking about here and also the themes that are within Universal Orlando sometimes uh, kind of tend to be dark isn't the right word, but maybe a little bit more mature or, or kind of a realistic take on things. So, um, so yeah, more kind of bright landscape is, is always appreciated for sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you brought something up like that is that I think it was funny because, um, we, me and my wife always went to like Disneyland. We always plan at least one day at uh, Universal's. And that's usually because it's, we usually do it about in the middle of the time because you go like, man, I've been around so much like family friendly type stuff. I need something more adult. So we would go to Universal Studios, which has a more of an adult theme to it. So it's kind of interesting that, it, yeah, I think uh, like, 
Universal's has always been, uh, I mean, while not being anti-family, it is a more of an adult park, but definitely something like the introduction of Nintendo makes for a much more family-friendly environment, and uh, and you get a, a bright, like, uh, atmosphere to contrast a lot of the more adult themed type areas that usually uh, Universal Studios has. And it's like the one thing we've been hearing a little bit about, like uh, in terms of upcoming Universal lands. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think in Japan was supposed to open the summer. Clearly, that's not going to happen. Um, so, it'll, you know, we'll at least get a first little sneak peek from Universal Studios Japan when. Whenever that re- whenever that uh, construction is rescheduled for, so um, that's definitely something to look forward to. So the other lands we don't have quite as much info for because, like I said, uh, Super Mario World is really the only thing that's confirmed for it. But uh, we also have speculation around a How to Train Your Dragon land um, that has spots for some type of flying coaster. Um, a, a, a boat ride of some sort and a theater show. So uh, both, I think, the boat ride and the flying coaster seem like they would fit pretty well with that franchise. Um, also, not not exactly what you would immediately associate with theme park land. Um, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's kind of interesting. I, I, me and my wife love the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. Yeah. But it's interesting that they would uh, do a land based off of a franchise. It seems that they kind of ended. Because, uh, I mean, the last movie was supposed to be the last movie. Um, right. And I don't think I've seen anything new coming out. I mean, they had the TV shows, but I thought those ended too. But... Uh, I mean, I, I love the potential that could come from uh, How to Train Your Dragon Land, but uh, it's kind of interesting that they would choose a franchise that technically is over, unless they're planning more. I, I think that's that's a real possibility for sure, <laughs> especially if they're going to have a theme park land. We'll see. There's definitely potential there. Um, I didn't get the sense while watching the movies, and I agree, I, I really enjoyed them, but I didn't get the sense that there was like a much larger world outside of what we were seeing that um, that I really wanted to explore. But I'm always down with a, a kind of a, a dragon flying coaster. That sounds incredible. So I'm down with that. Say no more. But speaking of franchises that uh, are a little bit of a wild card, maybe not as much as you would expect, but certainly a strange fit for a an entire land in a brand new theme park. Uh, we have Universal Classic Monsters, which uh, has spots for a main attraction dark ride, a possible show, and there's a large plot of land that seems to be earmarked for future expansions. So certainly the Universal Monsters have always had um, a place within Universal theme parks, but it seems pretty wild to have an entire land uh, dedicated to uh, to them. I mean... I'm all for it. It's it's like I said, I, I love wild cards when it comes to that, but definitely not what you would expect. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if this is something that is, uh, is a holdover from there. Like, uh, their initial plan to do a, uh, 
a dark universe based off oh, of the Oh, dude, that would that would make it even better. Yeah, and that uh, they initially were planning on having all these. I mean, you have the mummy. You already have a mummy roller coaster at uh, you know out there at the uh, Universal Hollywood. Um, so it it doesn't surprise me because um, they always are trying to figure out. Um, you know, ways of having like using the universal monsters and um, my wife loves them for sure. I think uh, I remember if it was for her birthday or for Christmas, I got her uh, a Blu-ray set of the, the classic uh, universal monster movies. Um, so not the Brendan Fraser mummies. No, no, these are the black and white movies. Uh, like Bella, Lon Chaney Jr. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and Bella Lugosi and, and those guys. Oh, yeah, there you go. So uh, I think Lon Chaney played him later on. Yeah, uh, he, he was definitely with the uh, the Phantom. Uh, he, he was in, I want to say he was the Wolfman, uh, but he was definitely in quite a few of those well my wife would know for sure <laughs> and she she's laughing at me right now because she knows and she knows i'm getting it wrong <laughs> but uh he was the wolf man for sure okay well i think he just did a lot he did a lot at the time but he's a busy boy yeah but so it sounds like you're saying she's definitely excited at the prospect of a universal monsters land oh yeah Oh yeah, um, and it'll be there day one. Let's go, Henry. Let's make this plan. Twenty twenty three, twenty four. That might be something to look forward to. We might be able to make that happen. There we go. But uh, yeah, mark your calendars. I, I think it's actually probably a, a good thing to have kind of a contrasting land with uh, Universal Monsters. So you, because you have like with uh, How to Train Your Dragon, you have. And uh, Nintendo Land, very family friendly, where now you have something that is uh, a bit more adult, which I think Universal likes doing. It mixes it up uh, good, I think. You know, that's a. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm down for uh, Universal Monsters, although I'm sure they might have like a, a horror type uh ride and i don't know i hate uh definitely don't uh, don't like uh walk through haunted house type attractions i'm not big on those right it always seems like whenever we go through something like that everybody likes to hide behind me so i get a lot of like <laughs> well. people like pushing me and and running into me from behind, which is not fun <laughs> for me. So <laughs> hard to uh, hard to avoid uh, being behind you in a situation like that. Eh. But uh, yeah, they did have. It was recently they had at uh, uh, Halloween Horror Nights. They had a uh, a scare maze that was Universal Monster themed, and it definitely leaned very heavy into the kind of more mature kind of balancing out sort of a what you would what what a modernized horror version of all of these characters would be and i remember it, it getting pretty good word of mouth so hmm. it seems if they go in that direction that could be a very good sign yeah i mean no uh universal's hollywood has has definitely have had their like a uh, little like uh at one point they uh, a while ago they had uh an actual like um walk through uh 
uh, I guess it was a haunted uh, mummy walkthrough. Uh, right. I don't know what to call it really. Uh, but I remember that and that was kind of interesting because they had like the, the little pygmy mummies running around there. It wasn't very scary, but you know, uh, but I mean, they've been trying for years to try and figure something out. I think the the test bed of the ho- uh, Halloween horror nights definitely like their mazes and stuff is sounds like they keep getting better and better. I, I get more better uh, word of mouth from those. I've never been to one myself, even though we're around there. But it, it's a at that time of the year, it's just really really late. Yeah, I'm too squeamish for that kind of stuff, man. I, I've seen what uh, what goes on and like, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. The idea of people jumping out at me is not like something I look forward to. So uh, I, I, I'm just I'm just scared that it, I mean, I, I know that sometimes I can be jumpy. I, I get worried that uh, my my fight them flight instinct will like kick in so somebody jumps out and goes ah and they actually really scare me and i wind up like punching them and then running but uh i mean that's <laughs> so, i mean man, i see more of like i see more of like a roger rabbit kind of thing happening where next thing there's just like a poof a cloud of smoke and there's just like a henry hall sized kind of like silhouette in the side of the building no, well, no. In, in the past, I, I remember going through uh, when I was really, really young. I was really scared, and my dad forced me to go into uh, haunted, uh, haunted house, and I was just freaking out. I'm like this little kid, just freaking out. My dad's pushing me <laughs> yeah. through this thing. Towards the end, there's this like guy dressed up as a uh, like a Grim Reaper, and he's coming at people. And uh, my dad's like, "Don't touch him, don't touch him." And the guy just wasn't paying attention or didn't care. <laughs> he came up and grabbed me, and I went off on him. Like he literally tried to get away, and I was coming for him. I was punching and screaming at the same time, and I'm just coming at him. So. Uh, Yes, I have a tendency to fight, then flight. <laughs> so uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very sweet, uh, sentimental memory you got there. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's another incident that happened in a horror, uh, a haunted house type thing. And you're still on the run from the law. <laughs> no, no, but uh, don't, don't scare me. It could, it could end bad for you. I, Henry, I totally believe you, man. I, I, I do not doubt this. Um, and so the final land uh, within Epic Universe that uh, that's kind of being blocked out here and is rumored is this Fantastic Beasts land that we talked a little bit about last time. Uh, but there are spots for a large-scale dark ride, a theater show, and some kind of indoor attraction. So like we said, we, we, we kind of touched on this briefly, but, uh, but it seems like it makes sense to have three different Harry Potter themed lands in three different parks. I think the only kind of maybe slight bummer here and difference though, we'll see if this, uh, if this gondola system that we talked about last week ends up happening too, but uh, you know, universal and, and um, islands of adventure being in such close proximity makes it easy to, to kind of, and it's built into 
um, the Harry Potter wizarding world over there that you can go from one land to the next. Um, but uh, not going to be the case with Epic Universe. It's a little bit further removed from the other two parks. But uh, but yeah, slam dunk, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the only kind of disappointment here is that, you know, they have so many franchises they can pull from, and you already have a big uh, presence of Harry Potter and Universal's uh, theme parks that you have yet another Harry Potter uh, theme park. Uh, that being said, I do, I mean, it, with the Fantastic Beasts, you have the uh, ability to introduce cute and, you know, cute and potentially scary monsters or whatnot. So there's, there's a lot you could do with that type of stuff. So just from a new park perspective, um, it always makes sense to kind of have something that is that slam dunk and is something that you know already works, right? So we've got Super Mario World, uh, we've got How to Train Your Dragon, we've got Universal Monsters. You know, those have been th- those have been represented in some way, shape, or form in theme parks, um, but never as their own kind of individualized lands, fully realized lands. And so there's a little bit of a risk there. Um, and so the idea of having that fourth land being something that you know works and that already is a draw at the other parks and complements the other parks and that people, at least when they're planning that trip out and maybe are kind of like iffy about the other areas, can see Harry Potter and Wizarding World and, you know, Fantastic Beasts and say like, all right, I feel confident that this is going to be awesome at least. So it's, it, it kind of helps to mitigate that risk uh, of going to a new park and being totally disappointed, but also it, it it's a little bit new in the fact that it, it's that newer Harry Potter franchise that, you know, isn't going to be like a retread. True. I mean, it is a known quantity, but honestly, uh, you're totally right with that, but I just don't think it was necessary. I mean, I think having Nintendo is, uh, Nintendo Land is just like that's just like a, a Michael Jordan slam dunk with that one. So it's like, do you really need anything else for when you have that? Uh, I mean, yeah. yes, you do need more, you know, but uh, but I mean, people are gonna go just just for like Nintendo, but they are covering a lot of different tastes, I think it sounds like with yeah, these lands, sure. so that I mean. It, there definitely is, it seems like there's going to be something that interests everybody. I should mention, uh, obviously, there are various different quick service, table dining, uh, various different restaurants and snacks and other shops that are included that we didn't mention here. There's also some kind of unnamed attraction spot located within that kind of central hub um, that there really isn't any information on. So it could be anything. And then at the at the kind of furthest point from the entrance at the top, I guess it depends on how you're looking at everything on the map, but there is an in-park hotel as well. So um, so there are other areas in terms of this that will kind of flesh out the the park. But now that we're now that we kind of have a, a clearer picture, and and again, all of this is is based off of speculation and just kind of general uh, a general blocking out of space that uh, that we know has been submitted as part of a permit 
but you know everything else is kind of either pieced together with little bits of information that we do know and maybe have been confirmed but a lot of speculation especially outside of super mario or super nintendo world but um does does knowing a lot of this get you more excited for this park henry oh yeah no i mean knowing just the nintendo part was enough to get you really excited but uh but yeah, having the Universal Monsters is, is makes it intriguing of where they're going to go with it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the uh, Fantastic Beasts gives you, yes, a known quantity to say like, yeah, this is probably going to be pretty awesome. And then you have like a How to Train Your Dragons potentially in there. So that's like uh, a franchise that, you know, we've, we've loved too for sure and then so there's yeah there's a there's a lot for us in this in this new uh new theme park so must visit yeah i i I agree it seems like at least from uh from this initial speculation there's uh a lot here to be excited about and hopefully it's not delayed too much further but but we'll see off to a good start yeah yeah i mean I think uh, the uh, Universal Monsters makes me think more of like what what kind of like uh, restaurants would they have over there? I mean, and whatnot, and little special shops <laughs> and whatnot. It's, it's very intriguing. Uh, I haven't really thought of that. Uh, I do, and, and also of course the How to Train Your Monster, uh, How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> Monster uh, makes me think of like <laughs> that was those were Vikings. I could look forward to some Viking type foods over there. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. It's exciting to see those kinds of risks being taken. I I am kind of interested in why they didn't go with a maybe a Jurassic Park type land either. Uh seems like that was be something to to kind of go into uh flesh out a bit more. I mean they have like rides and whatnot, but they don't have like a real land for it for that. And I'm surprised they didn't go for something like that. That seemed like that would be maybe something, a safe bet as well, but still it's not here, but it will be in Beijing. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, that's a land. All right. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't know, don't know how those decisions are being made. I agree. That would be, that would be awesome, but, uh, but it's going to be built somewhere. Yeah. Or maybe a future <laughs> expansion, whatnot. Yeah, that's true definitely definitely room for that well that just about does it for today remember you can catch the great park hop each and every week on apple podcast spotify stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be as always if you like what you hear and want us to keep making content just like this don't forget to subscribe to the podcast leave us a review or hit that like button this has been episode 14 of the great park hop and we'll catch you next week Stay healthy, everybody. Henry, take care, big guy. You too, man. Stay healthy, everybody. Bye. Bye.